Well, today we begin a new series from the book of Philippians. And to give you some background for today's passage, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed the strait for Sicumthras, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district in Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tyratira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a, a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. As they were ministering in Philippi, they were persecuted and thrown into jail. We take up the story in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Good morning. When we wake up on mornings like this where there's a lot of rain and drizzle and wetness, our minds uh, tend to take us to a place somewhere in the Bahamas, typically. And so this weekend I looked for islands in the Bahamas. Did you know you can buy an island in the Bahamas? There's several, actually there's, there's hundreds of islands where you can go and get away and be by yourself, away from all the craziness and into the, the warmth of the sun and the water and, and just again escape to a place where nobody else is. There's a one island in Granada, Ronde Island. It's about 2,000 or uh, 20,000 acres. You can get that one for 100 million. A little bit of a smaller one called Sawyer K in the Bahamas that you can get for 7 million. All kinds of prices, all kinds of sizes, all for people who want to get away from it all. And you know what I love? I love going to places that are warm. 
And when we go to a place like that, we may come to a point where we say, Ah, this is real living. Here I am, by myself. No interruptions, no busy, crazy office. No extra noise to deal with. This is real living. But you know what? The more I come to think about it, I don't think that is the way that God has created us to be. He, in and of himself, is a God who is in relationship within the Trinity. And I think he has created you and me to be in relationship with him and with each other in the body of Christ. And I really think the only island that we should be investing in is a kitchen island. A kitchen island is the place where we all gather together. It's the place where life happens. It's the place where community takes place, where we break bread together. I don't care how big your kitchen is. It doesn't matter. Everybody is there. And they will squeeze in because this is where life really happens. Kitchen living, I think, is what God has called us to. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we begin a new series in the book of Philippians. And we've given it a a title. It's Living in Gospel-Centered Community. And unity is highlighted because I believe, as we study this book, you will find that the main overriding theme of Philippians is about the unity of the body of Christ. There are many powerful themes in this book. There's themes of joy. There's themes of encouragement. There's themes of thankfulness. But you will see that Paul keeps drawing us back to a place where we are moving towards each other in unity. Living in gospel-centered community. That we are united together... We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of the gospel. The good news is what the gospel means. The good news that Jesus Christ came because God loved us so much. The good news that his son died on the cross for our sin. That our sin has been washed away, taken upon him. And because of our faith in Jesus, all who would call upon his name shall be saved. Because of that good news, and as we draw together, as we receive and believe in his son Jesus, you and I become family. Whether you like it or not, we are a family of Christ. And we are called by the Lord to live together in unity What does it mean to live in gospel-centered community? Because of our life in Christ, because of our, our spiritual rebirth, because he lives in us, in his creation of us, as he moves us towards relationship, we are called now, and we have life now, with Jesus at the center, the gospel, the good news, of our lives together, our commonality 
is Jesus Christ in us. And so now we, we live this journey together. Not on some private island. It's okay to escape for a week or two. But that's not where we're going to live. We're going to live together. Life with one another. And we have a purpose together. A purpose to, to grow in Christ together. And a purpose to advance God's kingdom together. To bring the good news to others. But we do that together as a body of Christ. It reminds me of the Fellowship of the Ring, of Frodo. And he is the one who had the purpose of breaking this incredible power of evil. And together he travels with his friends, all with a common purpose together. And others join in that we will defeat the enemy. The Fellowship of the Ring a common journey together, a common core, the ring and the victory over evil. We have a common core of Jesus Christ in our lives. And as we move ahead in this book, we cannot forget, again, who we are in Christ. For those of you who have received Jesus, he lives in you. And he has called us to each other. We cannot keep living separate lives. We can't just say, well, I worship God in the mountains. That's not what he called us to do. He called us to have life with each other together. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, living in gospel-centered community. And I really pray that the Lord will, will draw our hearts together as one body, and as Brad prayed, as the, as the bigger body of Jesus Christ, that we come together loving the Lord our God and loving each other because of his love in us. What I wanted to do was to give you a little history of what was going on in Philippi, just to give you some background as we dive into this book, okay? So we have a map of, of Paul's second missionary journey. And in this map, just to give you a little uh, history of what was going on with Philippi, it was located in what was called Macedonia. Macedonia really is northern Greece. So up top here at the top of the map, at the very top, you can see Philippi, hopefully, and that is northern Greece. And this is where Paul ended up traveling to. And this area was popular, and it started out having all kinds of gold and silver mines, and it had an incredible reputation in the community. The city was founded by Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And that was founded in 368 B.C. And it was an area called Cronides, which, which meant wells or springs that bubbled up from this place. I visited Philippi and spent uh, some time there. And one of the things that we found when we were in Philippi, it also was an area like San Francisco, full of fault lines. They have tons of earthquakes there. And so as we read Acts 16 this morning... And you get this example of an incredible earthquake. Still happens to this day. Earthquakes all over that region. And so God uses his creation to bust open the jails of Philippi. It is a city <clears throat> that was founded and was an incredible site in Europe. And when it did, it had this route that, that separated out Europe from Asia. And so it became a great battleground, a place that had strategic power. Anthony 
defeated Brutus here of A2 Brutus fame. And he defeated Cassius here and so decided the future of the Roman Empire. What became of Philippi was that in the time of Rome, it became, what Acts 16 said, a leading city. It became a Roman colony. And what that meant is they took the best of their best soldiers as they were come to a place where they were set out, these veterans, and they would send their families and these soldiers out to, to these colonies. They would make colonies. And they were the elite of the elite. They were the best cities to be part of. Speaking of Latin and all the time, and, and then they would have everything Roman and everything was glorious. Lots of wealth and power. And it was like the scripture said in Acts 16, it was a place that was a leading city. It wasn't just a little town hanging out there. But a place that was powerful and strong. And so everybody would say, I'm from Philippi, but I am Roman. I am from a colony of Rome. And they were proud of it. What you'll find later on in Philippians 3 is Paul makes a distinction. And he says this, You are of a colony of heaven. Your citizenship is not of Rome. It is of heaven because of who you are in Jesus Christ. And may we never forget it. We are citizens of heaven passing through Boise, Idaho for a little bit. We don't belong here. This is not our residence. And Paul reminds them, but they live in the middle of this colony that is everything Roman. And so it's to this city that Paul sends his letter. And I love the beginning of this journey. Because what you find in Scripture... And what it teaches us is Paul set out on a second missionary journey and he ends up in Philippi. Is that one of the things that we find with the Lord and we find in our relationship with God is that his ways are not our ways. We often find that we make our plans and then God very quickly directs our footsteps. And so it was as Paul went on his way to begin his second missionary journey. He really wanted to go and revisit all the churches that he had started on his first missionary journey. And so he's excited to go and start this way, and he's he's headed to Ephesus, and the Spirit just blocks him off and says, No, you're not going here. But Lord, I wanted to go encourage the brothers in Ephesus. This is a good thing. Why wouldn't you want me to go? I don't want you going here. The Spirit steps in the way and says, this isn't where you're going to head. And so he and, and Silas are heading out and they're trying to go to Ephesus. Then they wanted to go to Bithynia. And once again, the Spirit said, no, you're not going. You know, it's at this point in our spiritual lives where we go, Lord, what the heck are you doing? Isn't it? Why all these closed doors? What are you doing with us? What are you trying to teach us? Where are you taking us? And I can imagine Paul sitting there as, as he's trying to travel to visit these first churches and encourage the brothers and sisters in the Lord and arguing with God, going, what are you doing with us, Lord? And I can hear God's voice say, there are people in northern Greece who need to know that I love them. 
And I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. Where is God calling you and moving you to go and bring the love of Jesus Christ into your neighborhood, into your family? Where is he calling you to go and bring his love? And you know what I can promise you? He is doing that if you're listening. You want to know why? Because Jesus Christ lives in you. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives through me. And so guess what he's doing in our lives? He is drawing us through the Spirit to places that need to know his love. I promise you that. We need to wake up and listen and say, God, where are you taking me? I don't understand this journey. I thought I was supposed to head over here. What do you got for my life? And that's what he's doing with Paul. <clears throat> and so you have, you have these guys on this journey. You have Silas is with them. You have Timothy is with them. Dr. Luke joins up with them. And he ends up taking them to Philippi. They end up in the Dardanelles Straits, which are the gateway to Europe. And you can, you can hear the sound out of what God gives us in Ephesus. And I have prepared in advance good works for you to step into. You see, we thought we had all the plans laid out. Paul is taking these guys, or the Lord's taking Paul and these guys, this fearsome foursome, to a whole different place that they didn't anticipate because he prepared in advance the hearts of the people in Philippi, especially Lydia. And he's going to bring the love of God. He's going to use these four guys to give the love of God, the gateway to Europe. Northern Greece is the place that starts off with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here is Paul trying to figure it out in a vision, as was read, of a man of Macedonia appears and says, help us. You can really hear the cry of show us life. And it says in the scriptures in Acts 16, we finally concluded that God had called us to go. It took him a little while, as it takes you and me. But you know what? This is what God is calling us to. And so they respond. And so the Fantastic Four go, and they end up in Europe. And so begins in 52 AD the beginning of European Christianity. It starts with this journey that Paul didn't even anticipate because he wanted to go to Ephesus, which is Turkey, Asia Minor, and he wanted to end up there. And he shows up, and look who we find him preaching to. What would typically happen is you would go into the city, Paul would, and he would go into the synagogue, and he would preach the gospel. But the reality of, of Philippi is there really wasn't very many Jews there, maybe a handful. There wasn't enough to have a synagogue, that's for sure. And so he goes just outside the city, and, and there today is a river. It still flows. It's maybe, it's maybe 35 yards outside of the old city gate. And he goes out there, and he finds a place of prayer, and there's these beautiful women there that are praying, that are God-fearing women. They have some sense of Yahweh, of God. <clears throat> and their hearts have been prepared, and they listen to Paul and the Silas as they teach. And their hearts become open. And Lydia, a dealer in fine purple, 
She was a woman of affluence. It was always for the kings, the purple cloth. A woman of incredible influence. And she was from Asia Minor. She's actually from over from Asia, Asia Minor there, Turkey area. She ends up in Philippi. Her heart is opened up. She comes to know Jesus Christ. She becomes really the mother of Christianity in Europe. She becomes the first convert of European Christianity. And we're going to see in the book of Philippians a lot of women mentioned. And I love it because it gives incredible value to the gifts of women at a time when the value of women was nothing. And it builds them up, and they are used incredibly in this church of Philippi to bring the love of God. And so it is with you, dear woman in this body, that God loves to use your gifts, and may you always use them freely in this church as God is calling you to bring his good news, to love the body of Christ and those in the community. It's funny that the vision of the man in Macedonia ends up being this beautiful woman as he leads and shares the truth. And then there is, as he encounters in Philippi, there is a woman, a young woman, who is possessed by a demon. She's actually, she actually gives fortune-telling, and these guys who own her, she's a slave, they end up using her to give, to give divination, fortune-telling. They make money off of her. And she keeps crying out because she has an evil spirit about who these men are, that they are from God. And to be honest, Paul, it says, he kind of gets annoyed. He gets frustrated with it. That's not what we, we need. We have a certain message to do. And we have certain places to go. And you keep yelling this out, and, you're, and you're, you're getting in the way of what we're needing to do. And so he casts the demon out. And we don't know what happened with that young woman, but many believe that that young woman encountered the power of God and also became maybe one of the beginning ones in the beginning of the church in Philippi. But because they cast out the demon, they get in trouble with the community, they get tossed into prison, which we read. They're beaten, and again, this is no light beating. They're thrown into the inner chamber of the prison, which is the dankest, deepest part of the cave, and they're left there. And they're guarded And then God does his miracle work, like he often does in our lives. They're sitting there praising God. Don't you love it? They're singing songs to God because they know their life is not their own. They're bought with a price. They know that God has their lives in his hands. So out of the midst of of just a lousy situation, they're singing praises to God. God uses his earth and busts it open to free them from prison, but they don't run away. And the guard who can't believe it, who should take his life because he's thinking his prisoners got out. And as they remain there, he ends up asking, how am I saved? Do you understand? People everywhere are asking that question. How can I be saved? How can I have this life that you have, that you're singing praises to your God in the middle of this hellhole? How can I have this? And he's saved and his family baptized. And so begins the beginning of the Philippian church, the first church in Europe that now began. And and Paul is writing with incredible love. He loves Lydia. He loves this church. You will find in scriptures no other church that Paul is so endeared to. 
And this is the background. I've got to give you a little background into what this church is that he's diving into. This is what Paul is writing to out of incredible love. And he begins that church, and there's incredible unity in the body. And I want to pray before we dive into the actual verses of Philippians this morning. I want you to close your eyes. This is out of John 17. Paul had incredible unity with the Philippian church. He had incredible life with them. And this, this passage out of John 17, I want you to hear Jesus praying for you and for me. As we dive into the book of Philippians, because I know it is his heart for us as a body of Christ. And I know it came out in the life of the Philippian church. So let me pray this over us as we dive into the book of Philippians. Oh, Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all of those who will believe in me through their message. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, Father, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. That's Jesus' prayer for us. That is a reality that we can have in the body of Christ. That we can get off this island of ours and start to engage in the lives of one another. That we can get over our selfishness of life is all about me and start to love each other in a way that only the Spirit can do through us. And you know what happens when we do that? Did you you hear the prayer? And it reveals you, God. It brings glory to you when we, Cole Community Church, love each other and come to unity. People cannot help but see God. And they will know we are Christians, how? By our love for one another. More bigger bigger than that, they will know that there is a God who loves them because of the way that we dive into each other's lives. It's okay to have a vacation every now and then, okay? It's okay to take a little break. But that's not what we're created for long term. We're created to have relationship. And we're created in the image of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is in relationship within himself. And so Paul writes with incredible joy. He writes ten years later, from a prison cell in Rome, this book of Philippians. He writes about the reality of their fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul typically 
when he writes a letter, he will say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But what does he do here? What term does he use? He says, we are servants of Jesus Christ writing to you. It's, it's a strong word, actually, in the Greek. It's doulos. We are slaves of Jesus. We are ones who are bondservants of him and has the idea of, I belong to my master. He is the one who is my life. I serve him alone. It's an image of humility. It's an image of obedience. But it actually has the idea of one who has joy in serving his master. We see this title given to the great saints of Moses and King David, that they are servants of the Most High God. Do you think that you and I are above that as we live in relationship with each other? Our master alone is Jesus. And you know what's interesting as we come to Philippians 2 later on? This term is used of Jesus and how he humbled himself. He placed himself in that lowly position. And this is the type of relationship that creates unity in the body of Christ. Who will you serve today? Have you thought out your plans for the day? Who are you going to serve today? Who are you going to get outside of yourself where you demand rest, where you demand your time? And who are you going to love with an act of service as God is speaking to your heart. Where is he leading you today to love? This is how he has created us. This is who Jesus is in himself. And when we do that again, and as we live in his obedience, in obedience to him and live his life, we serve one another. And he writes this letter again, Paul does to the Philippians, who are his dear friends. He doesn't need to prove his apostleship. You're my beloved. That's a good friend. He writes to all of the saints, and one of the things that you need to see in the scripture is that he will say over and over again, all, you all, you all saints, you all, you all. You, you know, we think the Texans came out of, out of Philippi. It's all, you all. Everybody's inclusive. Every you that you see in this scripture is plural. Do not miss this. Because it's speaking of the whole body of Christ together. There's nothing individualistic here. And so to all of you, to the whole body of Christ, I speak. Everybody's included. And he also says, and to the deacons and to the overseers, it's almost like he missed them. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, those guys too. But that's not what it is. It's, it's, this is for the whole body of Christ. And, and we have leaders. The church is obviously established. We have deacons. Deacons means ones who serve. And we have the overseers, the elders, the ones who shepherd. And he, what he's saying, I think, is all of us, this message is to the whole body of Christ. Nobody is above this. This message is for everyone. And I gather you in collectively as the body of Christ. I want you all to understand there's a call to unity. And like Philippians 1.27 says, 
my, my heart is that you would stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And he calls out to all of the saints. Oftentimes when we hear that word, we, we think of, of some sort of stained glass in a cathedral. Once you become a saint, you get your stained glass window. Or we think of Mother Teresa or something to that effect. But what he says of you and me, and one of the, the things that we need to know about ourselves is that we are saints because of Jesus Christ. We are all saints, those who have received Jesus Christ. Do you know that about yourself? Truly what he's saying is you are different. And we know some of you are really different, right? But you're different. You are, you are set apart for him. You are holy because of him in your life. To all the saints at Cole Community Church, I write to you. I call you to unity. You are saints. You are set apart to be different. And one of the things that's going to stand out about how you're different is about how you love each other. It should stand out. It's only the power of God in us that that draws us into this incredible unity with each other as we listen to and respond to the Spirit in our life. To all of you saints, I call you into this place of unity. He goes on and he says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here's what I'm confident of, Paul says. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I pray with incredible thankfulness and joy. We'll see that word joy, that sound of joy going out 15 more times in this gospel, in this letter. But look where the joy comes from. I am filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the joy comes from. It just doesn't there. It's because of of what God is doing with us together. The the Greek word there is is a famous Greek word, which you probably have heard, koinonia. I am thankful because we are drawn together because of Jesus Christ in koinonia, and we have a common purpose together. Your partnership has been with me from the very beginning. You have supported me in prayer. You have supported me in finance. You have supported me spiritually. You have been my friend. You sent Epaphrodites to come and and lift me up and encourage me. This is who you are. You are my partner. This isn't just grabbing a cup of coffee together. It's life together in the body of Christ. Deep, profound life. And it's Christ lived out through each of us and joined together. And when that happens, God is glorified and we are raised up in him and we have real life. That's real friendship. We have real life. There's this three-way bond between Paul and the Philippians and Christ. It's a glue, much like marriage. We are drawn into oneness. It's a life that is other person-centered. 
It's a life lived out of ourselves, and it creates community. Again, it's not just having potlucks. I love potlucks, but that's not what it's all about. It's about going from the potluck and then diving into each other's lives and saying, God, where are you taking us together as we break bread together? Let's think about our purpose together in life. We're not just here to come on Sunday morning and sit in these chairs. We're meant and created for life together in unity, and it brings incredible glory to God, and it fills our life full. Get outside of yourselves. Get over yourselves. And ask God, who do you want me to love today? Because I know you're drawing me to unity in the body of Christ. Do you want to experience true Christian fellowship, truly? Deep, rich Christian fellowship. Then I think we are called to serve together. To say, God, what do you have for us together? Where do you want us to serve? Give us a common goal, a common cause of you, Christ. You can serve in so many ways in this church body, in growth groups, and in children's ministry, in our youth. You can serve everywhere here. You know what one of my desires is as I oversee our growth groups with Josh Kramer? This is my desire for next year, and I want you to be praying about this right now. My prayer is that as growth groups, as you guys gather together midweek, my prayer is that you will draw together and say, what does God have for us together this year, where can we love together and serve and glorify him and bring life to, to people? How can we do that together? Maybe we adopt a, a refugee family who just showed up, has nothing. Maybe we, we go to the rescue mission together and serve there together. Maybe we take a, a single mom who is just having a hard life and we say, we're just going to adopt her and love her and her children. I don't know what God's going to call you to, but I I want you to be praying about a common purpose together. It's good to get in the Word, and it's good to have that fellowship together. But ask God maybe where He's taking you beyond that. Because I think it's in that place that we experience a depth of relationship like no other. As we get outside of ourselves and serve, it creates unity like we've never imagined before. And what Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began that good work in you, remember all the yous are plural? Don't miss this. A lot of times we attach this just to ourselves alone. He who began the good work in me. He's writing to the whole body of Christ. He who began that good work in you, dear body, that work of unity in Christ, that work of bringing the gospel together, he who began it, I'm in prison, Paul's saying. I can't keep doing it. God's using you. He's using your lives together to glorify my Father. It is you collectively. Yeah, he begins that work in us individually like he did with Lydia. He transformed her life. He transformed the jailer's life. But then they came together and they used their gifts and they used what God had given them. And collectively together, the promise is, together God will bring forth his kingdom and he will bring life and he's going to do it with us together. And in that day, there will be glorious day in the end because of all that God has done through us. We're not meant to live on an island, people. He who began the good work will finish it. And here's how Paul finishes up this little section. He says, it's right for me to feel this way. 
I have this incredible love for you, and it's a love that comes from Jesus. And I want you to hear Paul's heart of unity here. He says this, and the Greek gives it very clearly. You don't see it so much in the NIV. The love that I have for you, literally, I am Christ speaking to you. It comes from the depth, from the guts of Jesus Christ for you. That's the ending at verse 8. This love I have for you comes straight from God and his son Jesus, period. You need to know it. That that's the type of love that Jesus prays for, that unity and that oneness, the love of Christ. And that he who began the good work in us, Cole Community Church, he will finish it with us. And I pray that for us as we begin this series of living in gospel-centered community. Amen.